Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Again, I discussed earlier about the differences between the diffuse and limited, and uh, this just basically goes to show that there are differences among our patients with the diffuse presentations versus limited presentation and what sort of antibodies they might have. So for the patients that have limited presentation, limited systemic sclerosis, again, sparing the upper arms, sparing the thighs, sparing the torso, um, you might div- you see patients having anti-centromere antibodies. You might see them t- um, having PMSCL antibodies, THTO, or U1-RMP. In the diffuse patients, um, you're more likely to encounter patients with SCL70, RNA polymerase 3 um, antibodies, which um, in those patients, those are at high risk for developing scleroderma renal crisis, as well as um, it's been associated with the development of malignancies pre, during, or post their diagnosis, as well as U- U3-RMP. But interestingly, there was uh, this particular study, they've actually shown that there are uh, specific antibodies that they look for where, um, similar to what our previous colleagues um, in their previous session were discussing, uh, there are some antibodies that do clue you in. And this is the anti-centromere antibody in a setting of scleroderma, for instance, um, U3-RMP, THTO, and antiphospholipid. in lupus patients, in this particular study, they found, uh, found them to have U1-RMP, antiphospholipid, as well as SSA-SSB. And what I wanted to point out, this is the most recent study, actually, it was published in 2023. It's, I wanted to highlight this one, even though I skipped it initially. And this is an anti-centromere, uh, it's a subset of centromere antibody, anti-centromere p uh, 4.2 antibody, where they found them to be associated with a decreased diffuse capacity, regardless of whether patients had ILD or not. And this may be one of the kind of like the, the up-and-coming antibodies that we should be looking at, or maybe that would give us a clue as to whether these patients may be more likely to, um, to have pulmonary hypertension down the line. And why we focus, I know that Dr. Segar had discussed this earlier, and uh, we're, we're focusing on pulmonary hypertension and essential lung disease, and even though these patients, um, uh, what is the significance of these patients developing this? Um, in scleroderma specifically, over the years, we have noticed that there has been a shift in the patient's presentation, where in the past, patients used to um, die. Um, you know, we talked about morbidity versus mortality, right? And uh, in the past, patients used to develop a lot more um, renal crisis, for instance. You see it here. And then that seems to have improved over the years by us recognizing rheumatologists as well as um, uh, specialists um, all throughout uh, medicine, um, recognizing this um, entity early on so that we're treating patients. And then um, and then also paying attention to not use, for instance, um, steroids. So um, 
freely, especially in patients with systemic sclerosis when that, is, when that diagnosis is, is in question. Um, but what we're also seeing over the years is that pulmonary hypertension patients as well as ILD are, uh, this is the cause, um, these are the cause of death among our patients. And this is why we are here today um, discussing this. And along the same line, we um, also noted that patients with pulmonary hypertension over the years, even though this is an old study, but this seems to be continuing on, is that patients with pulmonary hypertension um, versus those with lung involvement only without pulmonary hypertension um, seem to have the worst um, outcome. Now, this brings us back to, is there an interplay between ILD and pulmonary hypertension, as Dr. Sagar was, uh, you were alluding to that one uh, before, and uh, whether we should be paying attention more to those subset of patients. And I, I, I think based on this, I would argue yes, um, and based on all the data that was presented earlier. And now we have these patients, um, in this particular study, they found that patients with, when they focused on um, SSC ILD patient, um, they noticed that they ha these subset of patients, the ones that uh, develop severe pulmonary hypertension, um, hypertension uh, were uh, sixfold. They had a sixfold increase hazard for mortality, um, and then those with moderate had about two. Um, twofold increase. Um, in looking at uh, doing a, a univariate and um, uh, multivariate analysis when they looked uh, subsequently at patients with systemic sclerosis, pulmonary hypertension, and they looked at the subset of uh, patients that had severe versus moderate uh, interstitial lung disease. Again, a severe, a severe ILD was associated with a threefold increase um, hazard for mortality in these patients. So um, there is an interplay between the two, um, and we uh, we should we should definitely, um, uh, you know, it has implications uh, for our patients for the future and uh, their outcomes. So um, I think the sooner we, we start them on therapy um, um, is of utmost importance. Now, what are some of the predictors then to help us guide the, our patients to get to you? Um, some of the things that we pay attention to is the slow decline in DLCO. Of course, there has been reported the FVC to DLCO ratio of more than 1.6, um, as well as um, now with the changing of the of the guidelines. Uh, the question is, how is that um, changing our um, our referrals to our colleagues, our pulmonary colleagues, our pulmonary hypertension colleagues as well. Um, I did discuss the anti-centromere, and um, I hope that I honed in to, um, you know, centromere is associated usually with the more vascular uh, component, so it's not surprising that it is, that would be included to, um, in our uh, kind of, our highly likelihood to more, um, to send patients to you. Patients with limited disease as well as extensive telangiectasias, those are broken blood vessels or dilated blood vessels that are apparent sometimes in their mouth, in, um, on their face, hands, um, chest. Um, so this is all indicative of, of vascular um, a subtype, if you will. Now, and over time, though, what what has been noted is that a patient, when they looked at this patient, uh, these patients, uh, this is from Steen, Jenny Steen, um, and this this is an old study in 2005, but 
what I discussed with you earlier is that patients are, it's going to take a while for our patients to get to you or for them to develop pulmonary hypertension. However, it is important to capture them early uh, rather than wait. Um, and though it takes about somewhere between 10 to 15 years for them to, um, to, to be diagnosed with, with pulmonary hypertension. I will go into this one. I, I think I've already gone into into this. But so how do we screen patients and screening really? Is it useful? Should we be doing this? And while this is old news to, to a lot of you, um, in this particular study, they looked at patients who were just routinely followed in practice versus those that were screened on a regular basis and looked at their survival. And um, in those who were... Uh, screen, there was a marked difference in survival um, in routine, uh, versus routine practice. Um, so you have 17% versus 64% that are surviving, favoring, of course, the, uh, the patients that are routine, routinely screened. Now, we discussed the NT ProBMP. It's old news, but it is, uh, this basically goes. Um, it is important to, to obtain it. We do use it. I don't know how much, you know, I, sometimes the NT Pro BMP is hard to get for us, and we, we resort to the BMP. Um, uh, it is a send out, but um, it is a useful tool. And based on the guidelines, it seems that it's, it's even more useful, perhaps even with the, um, um, uh, as far as the changing of the um, of the guidelines, uh, perhaps um, you know the the numbers may mean something different nowadays versus before. Um, but regardless, and I think it may mean uh, something different. And I'll bring this up in our discussion: at how how much of a, how much do we do this in clinical practice uh, when our patients get to you? Now uh, we all know this: that echocardiograms are not a useful. Uh, tool in predicting pulmonary hypertension, but we do, this is our first um, kind of go-to um, uh, uh, way or um, to, to evaluate patients. And in this particular study, they did notice that changes in RVSP of about two millimeters of mercury per year were um, actually um, uh, supportive of, uh, of things to come. Or, um, you know, those are the category of patients that perhaps we should be looking into. This is an old study, but um, I wanted to then move on to this and then just bring up, this would be my, my last slide, I believe, um, really to bring up detect, the detect algorithm and how much of it do we use nowadays. I know that um, Dr. Cao had presented this in her discussion of our case, but the patient that we have was um, had Sjogren's. Um, and how much of that do we actually use? This this is this was particularly um, done in patients with scleroderma, uh, and to evaluate patients with scleroderma, where um, it be, it's a stepwise fashion to kind of help guide. Uh, referral to right heart cath in these patients, and uh, the question I'll leave I'll leave you um, with is how much of that has changed, and how much of that is should be changing with the new guidelines. Um, but I think the main thing um, moving forward, I think I hope I have shown you that. Uh, pulmonary hypertension can present in a number of rheumatologic conditions, not just scleroderma, 
um, they, it's important to keep in mind, you know, sometimes you do see patients before we see them. And um, I get a lot of patients, for instance, um, sent from Rajan um, to me uh, with the question, does this patient have, you know, this patient came to me with pulmonary, severe pulmonary hypertension, but I do notice these hyperpigmentations. I do notice the skin thickening. Um, so does this patient have scleroderma? Does this patient have some other autoimmune disease that has been missed over the years? Um, cardio uh, capillaries are important to look at, and um, you know we're starting to actually look at them much more religiously in in clinics. So um, I think it's important. It's it's a very useful tool. It's very very fast um, in in easy way to to just look at the capillaries. Um, it just takes some practice, and I learned it. I I have a like a hand tool actually that I purchased on on Amazon, twenty dollars, and it gives you two hundred x magnification. Fantastic! Those pictures came from that tool, and I can I put them in patients' charts nowadays. So there's documentation. There's documentation of what what happens over time and with these patients, and that can help you. At least it helps me to um, to kind of figure out you know, when to send my patients, when to start have that red flag come up. Um, if I start definitely to see these giant capillaries or more of these um, tortuosities going on. Um, and as far as when it comes to evaluating patients with interstitial lung disease, I hope I honed in on the importance of um, biomarkers and um, uh, some of these antibodies that we're, uh, we... Uh, you know, I've alluded to before, uh, some new ones that are coming up, um, and hopefully that would help also uh, drive our patients into your clinics much sooner. Um, and of course, you know, early detection um, is important. Um, so patients that were followed um, just um, haphazardly are, are not doing well. We need to continuously just hone in on getting those BFTs, getting the echoes, um, looking at uh, our VSP trend, and then, of course, uh, TR jets and so on. And, um, and I'll leave it out there as far as whether we use the detect and how useful it is um, in um, to, to not only to scleroderma, for scleroderma patients, but is it really applicable anywhere else? Thank you for uh, your attention. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME, LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.